two young boys were in the back of the car and the mother was driving down the road and the two young boys were talking as young boys often do and one of them said, well, I know what God's name is. And the other one, the other one said, what's his name? His name is Andy. Andy. And the mother had to jump in then. She said, now, now how do you know God's name is Andy? She said, well, we, we sing that song on Sunday. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I am his own. I mean, if you're going to have a Bible study, a, a, a word study on the word and, you had to start with that lame of a joke. I'm sorry. And you've got to start in the book of Amos. If you would please turn to the book of Amos. Why would I start in the book of Amos when studying the word and? Because of Amos and Andy. Yeah. Yeah. We're starting in Amos. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this thing. The remnant called by the Lord's name are Christians, as we find in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. We are the Gentiles connected to the remnant by a little word, and. A little short, three little word, and. And is a little word that connects. It connects some mighty big things in the scriptures. But God has always used weak, little, small things to perform great things. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. I hope you have your Bibles today. If you don't have a Bible, there are many pew Bibles because we're going we're gonna to be turning the pages of our Bible tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning with verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. We're going to study the little word and tonight, and how essential it is to our salvation. The Greek word for and is this word here, chi, is the Greek word for and. Chi is used 9,000 271 times in the New Testament. 9,271 times in the New Testament. 8,173 of which are translated as and in our Bibles. In the English language, the word is a joining word. 
and is a joining word, a conjunction. We older ones, we remember conjunction, junction from schoolhouse rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up two boxcars and making them run right. Milk and honey, bread and butter, peas and rice. Hey, that's nice. We, were, we remember that song on Saturday mornings. It, it's a conjunction. It's, it's a joining word. It joins parts of a sentence. And is a word in English that means together with, along with, as well as. When dealing with numbers, it means plus or attitude. When we say two and two equal Four, okay? And is used in different ways, but how is it used in the New Testament? That's what I, that's what I want to get to tonight. How is it used in the New Testament? How does it pertain to our salvation? That's what I want to get to tonight. The same way in English and Greek, uh, the word and is used basically. There's not much difference in the passage I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26, beginning with verse 26, uh, in our passage today, chi and is used to connect clauses and sentences and single words or, or terms. Look at it again. Look at this. Uh, but uh, Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things, uh, verse 28, and the base things, and the things which are despised, and the things which are not. It's used four times here to connect the idea that God, powerful as He is, uses weak things. And this idea could not come across without the word and being involved. As I've said, and is used to connect single words or terms. Look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We'll look at some different ways that and is used in the New Testament. And I want you to understand that I am building a case. Okay? I'm building a case. For how and is used in it for our salvation. Okay? Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And connects the single terms of Pharisee and Sadducee and also the clause in the sentence as well. And in the New Testament, logically links statement to statement, says Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament. Let me say that again. And in the New Testament, logically links statement to statement, says Thayer's Greek-English lexicon in the New Testament. And, and joins affirmative and negative statements as well. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Luke chapter 3, John the baptizer is preaching to the people. The people are asking what they should do to repent. Notice he, he told different ones different things, but that all of them, verse 21, were supposed to be baptized. 
But look at what John told the, the soldiers in verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Don't do this. Do this is basically what John said, and connect the negative and the, the positive statements together so that they make sense. The soldiers couldn't say, well, you know, we're, okay, we won't intimidate anybody, but we're not going to be content with our wages. No, that was, it was just as forceful to be content as it was to not intimidate. And that's connected by that word, and. Everything that John told them they should do and we understand that because the word and is used there. It connects the two. Another way chi or and is used is that of repetition. Look at Romans chapter 11 verse 33. Uh, you know, a repetition indicates that two things have, uh, two things, uh, uh, that of two things one takes place no less than the other. Of two things one takes place no less than the other. Romans chapter 11 Verse 33. Oh, the depths, oh, excuse me, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God's wisdom and knowledge have as much force as his judgments and ways. And all things are of, through, and to Him. All of these ends emphasize that He really is the only way. Now, with 8,173 ends in the New Testament, we won't try to get to every verse this evening. But how about we look at three sermons in the New Testament? Look at three sermons in the New Testament and see how the speaker or the writer uses the word and and see what it means to us and to our salvation. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Again, I'm building a case. Here we find Jesus teaching on the mountain to the multitudes. So from chapter 5 through chapter 7, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And let's see how Jesus joins or connects in this great sermon. The, the Beatitudes are beautiful. And in verse 6 it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus joins hunger and thirst, not for food or water, but for, for righteousness hungering and thirsting for righteous. Have you ever hungered and thirsted to be right? Have you ever really wanted to be that right? To be that right with God? If you are, it says, verse 11, you'll be persecuted. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. You'll be reviled or, or verbally abused. You'll be persecuted and have evil things said about you. But look how and is used. You won't be blessed if you are 
lied on in your job. You won't be blessed if you're verbally abused by a customer or unfairly treated in, in a business deal. That's not what it says. You're blessed, and makes you understand this, you're blessed when you're treated bad for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus just said we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Even when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, let your light shine so your, so your good works are seen. Period? No. No. And so God is glorified. Do you see that in verse 16? Not just, not just so you can be looked at and seen as a good person, but so that God can be glorified. And makes us understand that. God is glorified. Look at verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Bless, do good, pray. And ties all of these together. But, chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Do your good in secret. Without promise and praise of of men. Verse 4. That your charitable deeds may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Jesus repeats this when he teaches how to pray. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Notice the and has done more than just connect words. It's connected us to blessings. It's connected us to people. It's connected us to God through, through prayer. Notice verse 24, chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And sets up here, it sets us up here and gives us a choice. God or stuff. We've got a choice in this world. God or stuff. We can't serve both. 
and sets apart. Who can serve? And Jesus teaches not to worry so much about our stuff here in this passage. But he reiterates, look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God knows you need stuff. God knows you need stuff. And if you put him first, you'll get the stuff you need. Notice chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like A foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus makes a statement and and connects a positive and a whole bunch of unasked for damage. Just like persecution. We didn't ask for persecution. We don't ask for it. His ands here connect catastrophes. But also the beginning and the end of the sermon. He's going right back to the beginning of his sermon, Jesus is. Then Jesus makes a statement and connects a negative. And the same unasked for damage. And he connects the fall of the foolish house directly to not doing what Jesus says here. Fast forward in Jesus' life. He's telling his disciples, John chapter 14, verse 26. When I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and he will tell you and remind you of what I said. And Jesus reminds the apostles again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit will come with power and they will be a witness. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, this is exactly what happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Let's read that. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they... Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit came with power upon the apostles. Luke, the writer of Acts, he uses the word, the word and. Notice all the, all the ands. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all the, those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites, who's, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pap- uh, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful words of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Notice the surprise. That's another way that, that and is used. Verse 2. Look at, look at verse 2. And suddenly. And, and sets up a surprise. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Notice all the connections in, in verse 4. Look at, look at verse 4. And, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem's devout men. Look at, look at verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his, in his own language. Look at, verse, look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language? Look at verse 9. And it starts talking about all the different places and it, it, it connects and connects each and every one to the other one. Notice how and connects all these people to the event and it connects how they behaved. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed so that they asked a question. Peter proceeds to preach to them. Peter preaches the death, Acts 2.23. The burial, Acts 2.29. The resurrection, Acts 2.32. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Notice, and connects their heart to what was said. Notice this, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And connects their heart to what they said. They went from amazed and perplexed to cut to the heart. So they ask another question. Let me read to you how one person answers this question. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the main verb is mentanosate, change mind. Aorist, directive, imperative, a command of metanio, which means to repent, change mind. This refers to that initial repentance of the sinner unto salvation. The verb translated be baptized is the indirect passive imperative, a command to receive, hence passive voice in Greek, of baptizo, which does not give in the same direct command implied in repent. But all this Greek stuff may be confusing. Let me break it down. All people are commanded to repent for their sins. This is what believers have already done by becoming Christians. Baptism then is an outward identification with being a Christian for those who have already repented. That's the way so many of the world view Acts chapter 2 verse 38. This is from Matthew J. Slick on his website, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. Let's look and see what the Bible says. You know, 
they asked a question there in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Their, their, their heart was cut, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's how Michael, Matthew J. Slick, answers their question. Let's see how Peter answers the question. All right? See how Peter answered the question. Peter said, to, and then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's how Peter answered the question. So, how does Michael J. Slick, Matthew J. Slick, come to the conclusions that he comes to? It all centers around that little word, and. Okay? Let me show you. Slick's answer is that repentance, because it is first and active, has more weight than baptism because it's second and passive. Yet this doublespeak betrays him because he says, and it's true, they are both commands. One you have to do for yourself, repent, and one you have to have done to you, be baptized. The key to disproving the false doctrines is found in that little word, and. And simply connects, as we've been talking about. And simply joins words, numbers, notions, clauses, sentences. Here we have an active command, repent, and the passive command, be baptized, joined forever, because God's word will not pass away. Everyone is commanded to repent and let somebody baptize them. Why? So your sins can be forgiven. There's more argument to this verse. I've printed off the second half of this argument. As you go out, you can, on the table in the foyer, you can read the second half of this argument. But if we will trust that this is written correctly in Greek, if we will trust that this is written correctly in English, we will understand and come away with the truth. Notice the ands, chapter 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as any had need so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved and ever the connector connects verse 47 to verse 48 verse 38 those being saved repented 
and were baptized. Look at all that that it connects. It connects their, their whole relationship with each other. It connects their whole relationship with obedience. It connects their whole relationship with God. All connected by a little word. So, we see that the word and in Matthew chapter 5 verse Matthew, Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7 it connects doctrine in Acts chapter 2 the little word and connects commands and now let's turn to Acts chapter 17 in our last sermon that we'll look at Acts chapter 17 Paul is in Athens Paul is in Athens. Luke writes that Paul is telling them there of Jesus and the resurrection. Luke says, Jesus and the resurrection. That's the the term that he uses. He's telling them of Jesus and the resurrection. Why does he call it that? Why does he say Jesus and the resurrection? Well, Luke wants us to understand that the gospel is being preached. You know, to preach of the resurrection, you've got to speak of the burial. You've got to speak of the death of Jesus. It's Luke's way of saying Paul preached the gospel. And notice Paul's sermon. It begins in verse 22. And how he uses and to connect great concepts and and relate them to each other. Notice, Notice the connections. Beginning with verse 22. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they would might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Also, as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that this, excuse me, that the divine nature is like gold or silver, something to be shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he is appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul here in verse 32, he speaks of the resurrection. Look, look here. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And starts the sentence there in verse 32 and connects what Paul spoke about and the three different reactions that Paul got. Some mocked, says in verse 32, you know, Jesus said we'd be blessed if we were 
persecuted for his sake. Some mocked. Some said, we'll hear you again. And some believed. This is a first step to salvation. Believing. Once you've heard the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will believe or you will not believe. Notice how and connects the reactions to to the message. Some mocked. Some said, oh, I'll hear it again. Some said, I believe. Notice how and is important to salvation. Turn your Bibles, our last verse, Mark chapter 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. It's those who believe and are baptized who will be saved. If you mock the gospel as they did in Acts, you don't believe and you will be condemned. If you say, well, I'll hear you again on the matter. Well, you don't believe. You don't believe enough to obey. Baptism would just get you wet if you don't believe. But he who believes and is baptized will be saved. This and, this connector This conjunction and it connects belief and baptism. It gives equal weight to both. And can connect your belief and your baptism. Where do you and belief stand? Where do you and belief stand? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Sense you're in your own mind. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Then if you do, are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to quit sinning like you've been sinning? That's what it means. And turn to God. Turn and live a life that God wants you to live, not the way you've been living. Well, if you're willing to do that, are you willing to confess? Are you willing to to stand up in front of others and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, if you're willing to do that, are you willing to be baptized and have your sins washed away and be a part of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the author of our faith and the mediator between God and man and God will take His vengeance out on you if you don't. But if you do, He will be your God and you will be His people and God will come to you and make His home with you and you will be saved. Can we help you tonight? Can we we help you make the connection? Can we help you make the connection between your belief and your baptism? Can we help you make the connection 
between your sin and your salvation? If we can, let us do so right now as together we stand and sing.